Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. Even if he's not going to start the season, this is still meaningful time for him to get in, get to know his teammates, uh, get reps, learn the offense. He hadn't played football in a year. So for nothing else, this is really good for him to get in shape and and, and get back into a football mindset. And you're right. I think he's going to be suspended, Tony. How long? I don't. I do not know. If I were a betting man, I'd bet eight games. Okay, yeah. I bet some of your money that you, that you're saving up, living in the attic and doing PTI <laughs> from the attic. All that money you're saving—that's what I bet. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Who doesn't like Booger McFarland? <laughs> People actually say to me who listen to the podcast, "It's great to have Booger McFarland on." I think it's lovely. I love how excited he gets for his golf trips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he does. Uh, my friend Adam Mandel said uh, he could help him one of those courses he'd like to get on. So we'll have to call Adam about that. Booger would be very happy with that. Um, so what have I got to talk about? In, in non-baseball news, because we're going to have Jeff Passan on and Ann Hornaday today. Um, in non-baseball news. Is she going to break down Juan Soto? I don't think she is. We're not going to ask her about Juan Soto. Leading man. Yeah. Yes, but we're not going to ask her about him. And maybe I will <laughs> at this point. I can just flip it and ask. In non-baseball news, there's football news. The San Francisco 49ers have simply announced this is Trey Lance's team. That Jimmy Garoppolo, they're going to try to trade him. Now, everybody knew this was sort of going to happen, and it was affected in a negative way by the fact that Garoppolo had surgery and he still hasn't gotten out on the field and you don't know what his arm is like and all of that stuff. But Kyle Shanahan drafted this guy two years ago and drafted him, moved up to the number three pick and took Trey Lance out of, I think, North Dakota State or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think he, <clears throat> excuse me for coughing, I think he had only pit, played one game that year, something weird like that, and he said, you know, this is our guy. Now, he sat on the bench this year. A lot of people thought they'd turn to him right away. They did not, but they're turning to him now. And when a coach goes out there and says, we thank Jimmy for everything he's done for us, that means Jimmy's no longer on this team. No. Now, where does he go? Does he go to Seattle? I mean, I don't know how that works because Jimmy Garoppolo is an accomplished quarterback. His record as a starter is really, really good, and he's been to the Super Bowl. Yes. For Trey Lance to be better, Trey Lance has to win the Super Bowl. I just thought that was sort of big news. Wilbon won't want to talk about it today, but I will, and I'm (laughs) sure. guess, Guess where they open? San Francisco? Chicago. They open in Chicago. Okay. Yeah, first we'll, against the Bears and then the Seahawks. Wilbon hates the Bears management now. Just yeah, he's not happy with that. What's, what are his thoughts on the, new, on the proposed dome? He wants to keep the team in Chicago. He doesn't want to go out to some mall where it was a racetrack at one point. Um, by the way, uh, speaking of Wilbon, we had Theo Epstein on yesterday. I, I'll talk about this, I'm sure, with Passon. Theo Epstein's brilliant. Yeah, I was awed. He's pretty sharp. In, uh, towards the end of the interview, I think I looked in the camera and said, this is amazing. You're really smart. <laughs> you know, I, he was really, I got some notes from people, not in the sports business, you know, friends of mine saying they watched it and they were tremendously impressed with Theo Epstein. Tremendously so. Yeah, he's very sharp. I think my favorite story about him is when he had to flee Fenway Park dressed in an ape suit. Do you remember that? No. Because it was a frenzy of people. I, I forget what the circumstances were. The media was waiting for him, and it was the only way he could sort of sneak out. I think it was around Halloween. So he got in a, in a big gorilla suit, <laughs> and the media had no idea he left. But no, he's very smart, and obviously he's won a World Series in Boston and in Chicago. The two longest-suffering yeah. teams in yeah. the history of baseball. He walks, won at both. Yeah, walks into the Hall of Fame, right? Just, oh, <laughs> just, I mean, sure. Yeah, where's my stuff? Sure, no, it, it, yes, it's just... You know, at some point he'll say to someone, well, when am I eligible? Right. <laughs> you know, because he's, he, yes, so of course he walks into the Hall of Fame. And he may do it with another team. Sure. How about the Washington Nationals? You know. They, oh, they I, could use the help. Well, o- only about 30 of the teams. How many teams are there? 30? Only 30 teams could use Theo Epstein at the moment. He's really good. Anyway, um, let me get to what I, I, I because... The, and the Nats apparently won last night because I saw that on the crawl this morning. Because the Nats were playing at 10 p.m. last night, I knew I wasn't going to watch. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And I got a message. A winning pitcher, probably a bigger story than the team winning. But yes. Who was the winning pitcher? Josiah Gray. Oh, did Just he going win? Back, yeah, going back going to back, LA. Uh, what was this? Did he pitch well? Because he's um, got a 4-4-0 ERA going into that yeah, game. Yeah, it looked like it went back and forth, and they just you know kept extending the lead by a little bit. Okay. Well, I didn't realize that. So... I got this note from Steve Rose, 
and he was obviously, you know, watching something other than the Nats because he said I couldn't stay up to watch the Nats. So he goes and he watches the Mets. All right. The Mets are on TBS last night, the Mets and the Yankees. And who's doing the call? Costas. Bob Costas is doing the call. So Steve says to me, Costas doesn't need Google. Anyone else have his baseball IQ? And I go, no, it's really great. He always has been, you know, and. Then I do the thing that I like to do best. I turn over immediately. I start watching the game. And you text. I'm in there. Yeah, I'm in there in the first inning. There's like nine home runs in the first inning. <laughs> and Costas is great. He's because he's he is great. Yeah. I, and I text him. And I said, imagine my great surprise when my friend Steve Rose told me you were doing the Mets and the Yankees. And I was, you know, I had nothing to watch because the Nats weren't on until 10. It's just great to hear you. And I say to Steve, well, I texted him and we'll see. We'll see. I said, I just texted Costas saying, you told me about the game. Let's see if he responds. And Steve says, for you, I bet he does. And I go, nah, not until after the game, I think. And then he wanders off into, you know, Theo Epstein. This is Steve Rose. And, and then I say, whoa, he wrote back. Thanks, Tony. Ha. And Rose writes, awesome. Awesome. So that was really good. That made me happy. Then this morning, I awakened to a text from last night late from my friend Stephen Pearsall, who was an all-county basketball player at Hewlett High School and is among the group we play together in Delaware all the time. And he writes, listen to Bob Costas do the Mets-Yankee game tonight and was enthralled. He is definitely the best. And what I know, I mean, I know him. I know him to say hello and have a conversation and text Rarely. It's only usually when something nice happens to him and I congratulate him. He is from Long Island, as, as I've said many times. He went to Comac South High School, which is the same high school that Rosie O'Donnell went to, though she's younger than, than Bob. And so he's from Suffolk and I'm from Nassau. And I, you know, every once in a while I would see him at games and he's very pleasant and he's great. Like, there's two people I've seen in my life, and I know I've told this a hundred times. There's two people I've seen in my life with the ability to have a clock in their head, not have to look at a clock at all. There's Howard Cosell, and there's Bob Costas. There may be others. I don't know them. I've never seen them do it. Most of the time when you're doing recording in an actual studio, there's a large clock that is opposite the person anchoring the interview. And if he has to get out at a certain time, he looks up at a clock and he gets out at a certain time. I have seen Cosell and Costas work in studios without a clock. There's no clock. They may have a wristwatch. They're not looking at it. And somebody will say, Howard, we need 348. <laughs> you know, we're going to, we want to do a minute. We want to stop after a minute. Then we want to do 248. Can you do it? Sure. And he does it. And you sit there, and, and I've seen it. I've been in the room. You watch it, and you go, this is not possible. He's right on the number. It's exactly the same with Costas. Bobby, can you do 315? Sure. <laughs> and without any notes at all, he does 315. Because it's, it's the clock in his head. It's just amazing to me. And he doesn't stumble. Like, I stumble over words, and you can't see him count. You know what I mean? You can't see the wheels in his head gearing around and around and around, and he just knows when to get out. And by the way, when he raps, he raps so his voice either goes up or down depending on what mood he wants to create. And then he just, you know, he doesn't sit back and gloat. It stops for a second. He goes, anything else? <laughs> want to do it again? Right. It's, it's, and Costas is... He did that game last night. It was so spare the way he did it. But every single thing that happened, and he's not like he's on a delay. He would say it's a fly ball to right, moving back a little bit further than the outfielder at first thought, and there he puts it away. Yeah, it's just like he's telling you, even though you're watching it, he's, it's almost like radio, like he's telling you what right. happened, and it's just, it was great. I didn't stay up for the whole game, but he's... He's a great talent. Is that a generational callback, just, you know, an homage to the people who grew up listening, you know, trying to get that signal wherever they were? I guess. I mean, certainly, certainly for him, the Mets and the Yankees, like when, when he, they would flash, look, I know how this works. They get in your ear, a producer gets in your ear and, and they say, we're going to the X package now. 
and that's usually some historical thing, talking about the Mets and the Yankees over the years. He doesn't need notes. <laughs> he he, it's just, it's, when he talks about it, it is so clear he was either right there or was watching on television. His memory is, is crystalline. It's just tremendous. You know, you have no doubt. There's no, nobody's feeding him anything. He knows this stuff. Yeah. Again, I can't remember anything that happened after 1981. <laughs> but he knows everything. He can go game by game. You know, he just yeah, I wish I could it. remember the exact conceit, but it was, the, it was probably March of 2020 when there's no baseball. And he's doing basically a memory show from his kitchen. And it's like a one-shot thing. And he's just he's walking you through all these games. Just yeah. he's, he's remarkable. I still He remember. does other things. I mean, he did late-night shows. I mean, yes. he's... He's a very smart guy. He's an accomplished guy. He's never going to hear what I'm saying about him. He knows I feel this way about him. I really do. I think he's great. I still can hear his voice when he did Strasburg's first game. When I can't remember how many batters Strasburg struck out, but it was like... A lot. Yeah, it was a lot. Was it at 14? 13 or 14? Yeah, it was something like that. And, and How's he doing now? <laughs> Is he pitching anywhere? <laughs> not, I guess not. Not currently. Yeah. yeah. But, but to hear Costas and the enthusiasm, the excitement behind what was just an electric moment, you know, so, in baseball was just fantastic. So you know that he started, he was like 22 years old. Yeah, he was very young. 22 yeah. years old, and he's doing, I think, the St. Louis Cardinals. He's living in St. Louis, and he's doing, at that time, an ABA team. So this is like 1971, 72, 73, somewhere in there, pretty in the early 70s. He's doing the ABA Spirits of St. Louis. He's, uh, you know, it's the same thing with Marv Albert. Like, they started when he's 22 years old. Marv's got that voice his whole life. Al Michaels is doing, I believe, the Cincinnati Reds when he's 22 years. They all start in baseball. Well, I guess Marv didn't. I guess Marv started in basketball and hockey and didn't start in baseball. But most of them start in baseball. And baseball is the storyteller's medium. You can't do that. And basketball's too fast. No. Football takes too much analytical work. Baseball is for storytellers, and Costas grew up, when you grow up in New York, at my age and his age, about three or four years younger than I am, um, you grow up and you listen to Mel Allen, you listen to Red Barber, you know, you listen to Vin Scully, and these are some of the greats of all time, and it, it's, imprint, it's imprinted in Charlie Steiner's brain. It's Charlie, Charlie's eight years old. What do you want to do? I want to broadcast <laughs> Brooklyn Dodger games, and then Los Angeles Dodger games. Sure. So it was a... It was a great treat for me. I enjoyed it very much. Let's get to the rest of the show. Who's first? Was Passin Jeff Passan. Jeff Passan. When yes. we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews or coverage of all the biggest stories in the nba our new show is the place to be five days a week download and follow beyond the arc on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you get your favorite podcasts you're listening to the tony kornheiser show this is sent to us from chip in syracuse who's living in brooklyn and he writes my good buddy evan bieber not Justin Not Bieber. Justin Bieber, no. Evan Bieber is an up-and-coming new musician in Brooklyn and all around New York City. We'd greatly appreciate you playing his songs a little more and ruin a good thing on your show, but since he isn't the most sports-savvy, to say the least, he has granted me permission to send a few of his songs along. Evan is an amazing teacher by day, an equally talented musician by night. His stage name is Fading Out, so that he's introduced as Here's Fading Out. Yes, Here's Fading Out. And you can get his songs on all the music platforms. This is called... A little more, uh, and it plays in Jeff Passan. We are approaching the trade deadline. It's always good to talk to Jeff about who might be going, and then we can talk about Soto, and we can talk about Shohei Otani. But yesterday on the PTI show, Jeff, we had Theo Epstein, and I, I was honestly awed by how smart he was, uh, <laughs> awed by his thought process, awed by what I consider his commitment to baseball and awed by his admission that the analytics that he is so closely associated with may have in fact hurt baseball as a spectator sport. Uh, that was my first real encounter with him, even though it was, you know, from thousands of miles away cause it's, he's in another studio, but I, I was awed by him. What do you think of him? I think he is the pragmatist that baseball needs and 
He's willing to acknowledge the flaws and faults in the game while embracing the beauty that still exists and can be better. And when I talk baseball with Theo Epstein, I come away smarter every single time because his brain works differently than everyone else's. And he's able to see things as they could be and should be as opposed to what they are and to map out ways to get there. The question is whether the institutional forces inside of baseball are going to prevent that from happening because there are all kinds of political issues. You've got to deal with ownership that's intransigent in a lot of ways and general managers who are trying to do things that incentivize them as opposed to the game itself. And it's all of those different directions being tugged on that make his job as difficult as it is. But he he is the one right now in baseball who is fighting the good fight. Yeah, that's what it sounded like to me. I mean, to try to make the game better to watch because it's entertainment, you know, and players are always, players never want to change anything. All right, I'll get off that. The big news clearly is, Juan Soto in baseball in terms of the trade deadline. Do you think he will be moved? And if you do, do you have a sense of to where? I vacillate on this, Tony. I really do, because I think there are arguments in both ways that are very compelling why he will or won't be moved. And and let me try and go over those. To me, the most compelling argument why he will be moved is that the Washington Nationals are being sold right now. And and you say, well, if they're being sold, wouldn't they want to keep around a future Hall of Famer, a franchise-type player who they signed, developed, won a World Series with, and want to do it again? But I look at it more this way. If you're about to buy a team, and the first major move you make is to trade a beloved figure in your community and among your fans, somebody who at 23 years old has already accomplished so much and who has so much more left to accomplish and could theoretically do it in your uniform, are you not going to be starting off your tenure as owner, as a pariah? Do you want to be putting yourself in that position where you have to dig out from having been the person who traded Juan Soto in his or her first move as owner of the team. Because of that, I almost wonder if the Nationals would be doing their new owner a favor by taking the bullet as the team uh, or as the person who goes out and trades Juan Soto and allows them to start with a clean slate. I think that's a very compelling argument for the reason to do it now. But uh, compelling arguments in the other direction are, are manifold. Number one, putting together a trade of this magnitude in such a short period of time is a difficult thing to do. And Mike Rizzo has offers out to a number of teams uh, that he believes are commensurate in return for a player like Soto who has all of the talent and skills that I've talked about already. Uh, Beyond just the difficulty in doing it in a short period of time, there's the return. And look, the returns that he's asking for are enormous. I mean, this would be the biggest talent package ever going back to a team for especially a single player, but I just think in a Major League Baseball trade period, ever. And it's to the point now where no team has said yes, obviously. So we know that for all of the teams out there that have offers, this is like, this is too much. Um, I, I think there's uh, an idea that the Nationals are not like the Tampa Bay Rays, where they feel like they have to not win a trade necessarily, but get back more value than they're giving up to make it worth their while. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of people around baseball who are wondering, even if Mike Rizzo's asking right now for 125% of Juan Soto's value over the next two and a half years, as we get closer to the weekend, as we get closer to the deadline, is that ask going to come down? Because uh, you've crossed the Rubicon at this point. Like, 
he's not sticking around long term, so let's extract as much value as we possibly can. And if it's not 125%, maybe it's uh, you know, 195, even 90. And there are some people who think that Mike Rizzo is going to come down off of his enormous, uh, in one case, the GM said to me, asinine asks and wow. actually consummate wow. a deal. So I'm, wow. you know, I'm just sitting here like the shrug emoji right now and enjoying this fascinating story play out in front of me because trying to predict it, frankly, is fool's errand. By the way, it's fabulous that while you're talking, the grandchildren are talking as well. The hammer is just going on. I hope everybody gets to hear that. Um, Shohei Atani. The Angels stink. I don't know why they stink so long, so bad. I don't know. They've ruined Mike Trout. I mean, they've had, they've spent a lot of money, and they have talent, and they stink. And Otani, is he in that same, like, Soto area that they couldn't sign him again? So maybe they have to get rid of him. I don't know that it's pressing in the same way. But what's the future for Otani? He's a fabulous player. So I have a story up on ESPN.com this morning that I, I had one up yesterday that looked into Soto and in my trade primer on pitchers today looks into Otani. And it's amazing that Otani okay. could have been in the hitter or pitcher trade primer. Yeah. Because that's, yeah. Yeah. that's an absurd conceit that somebody is good enough at both. I, I did a comparison. I did a good old pitcher A, pitcher B, hitter A, hitter B in the story. And... Uh, the people to whom Shohei Otani is maybe most comparable this year are Max Scherzer and Matt Olson, who Tony are making on their current contracts, average annual value, a combined $64 million a year. And I, you know, I heard you on PTI yesterday talking about how $440 million for Juan Soto is a completely ridiculous number and you can't wrap your head. You know, you can't wrap your no, head around can't. it because can't. Kirby Puckett making $3 million seemed like a ridiculous yep. number at the time. But if, if Max Scherzer and Matt Olson are worth $64, um, is not Shohei Otani too? I mean, I know that the market <laughs> yeah, does doesn't both. work that way, but isn't that sort of how it should work? If you're paid X amount for what you produce and he produces um, Y, then... Ergo should not X be the case. Like, I, yeah. you know, I look at the Angels as a franchise that has paid money, yes, but have they paid enough? Have they put themselves in the best possible position to win baseball games? The, the Angels' payroll until the last two years hasn't gone over $180 million. Um, they, they're never among the top five teams, despite being in a Los Angeles market, they've they've never come within sniffing distance of the luxury tax threshold, whereas the Yankees have, and not just the Yankees, but the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox and the Cubs and the Padres, like the Padres are there, Tony. And, and I sit here and say to myself, the San Diego Padres are there. Should the Los Angeles Angels not be there, too? I know Anthony Rendon's contract is a disaster, but... You've got arguably, and, and, and listen, I'm going out on a limb here. You've got arguably the two most talented baseball players in history. I, I know you can make uh, a plenty good argument that Babe Ruth uh, and Willie Mays and Mickey Mantle and plenty of others are more talented than Mike Trout, but I'm sorry, there's nobody, nobody, nobody who has done what Otani is doing right now. And for him, wouldn't you just be frustrated and not necessarily want to go back? And if, in fact, he does not want to go back, he's a free agent after next season. And if you're not going to be able to re-sign Shohei Otani, you should leverage him into everything you can possibly get because if the trade package for Juan Soto is going to be absurd, the trade package for Otani is going to be absurd times about 0.95. Yeah. Like he's going to, you know, if he moves, even for just a year or a year and a half, he's going to get an obscene return. But I just have not 
heard anyone in the game who believes Otani will actually move. And because of that, uh, I think we're going to see him in an Angels uniform after August 2nd. All right, the trade deadline is Tuesday. We're not going to be on the air because they moved it baseball from four to six. So we're not on the air. Good. I have the day to not do anything. Makes me happy. Um, but you always want to know who's <laughs> selling and who's buying. Injuries play a factor in this. Last year, I believe, Jeff, that when Kyle Schwarber got hurt, it changed the Nationals' orientation to what they were going to do in the present uh-huh. and in the future, and they sold everybody off. Who's buying? Who's selling? Let's look at the sellers first. And we have to take into account, Tony, that there's an extra wild card spot in each league this year. There are 12 playoff teams now. Yep. So the calculus has changed a little bit there. The The number of sellers just are not quite the same right now. And uh, you see the Chicago Cubs. They're probably the main one at this point. They've got Wilson Contreras, who's going to be a free agent, the catcher, and Really good bat. He might be the best bat on the market right now. And they've got Ian Happ, an outfielder who's having a, a very solid year and is good defensively, runs the bases, hits from both sides of the plate. Very attractive to a number of teams out there. Kansas City Royals have Andrew Benintendi in the outfield with Merrifield, a, a really good utility man, not having the greatest year, but has a team-friendly contract some relief pitchers, as do the Cubs with David Robertson and Michael Gibbons. Um, But there are not a ton of high-powered sellers this year. Everyone in the game is keeping their eye on the Boston Red Sox, who right now are tied with the Orioles in last place in the American League East. And if the Red Sox sell, we got a whole different ball of wax because there's J.D. Martinez and Nathan Avaldi, Kike Hernandez, Matt Strom, Rich Hill, Michael Waka. Uh, Boston really could change the dynamics of the trade deadline if they do, in fact, decide to sell. Um, the buyers, though, they're, they're the usual suspects. You know, the Yankees need a pitcher. Seattle has been really aggressive. Houston's been really aggressive. And maybe the the most impressive segment of the market is actually controllable starting pitching. And what I mean by that is pitchers who are under contract beyond this year. The, the two best players are probably Luis Castillo from the Reds and Frankie Montas from the A's, both of whom are under contract through the end of the 2023 season. But uh, you have other names out there like Pablo Lopez from the Marlins and Tariq Skubal from Detroit. Houston is even looking at potentially selling a controllable starting pitcher, whether it's Jose Urquidy or Luis Garcia, because uh, the Astros have a ton of starters and feel like they've got holes to fill elsewhere. So, uh, you know, some other names, Josh Bell from the Nationals, Nelson Cruz, Uh, those are going to be a couple of guys who presumably move, and, and especially Bell should bring back something nice because he's having a great year. But it, it's not uh, it's not the sexiest trade deadline. You know, it's not going to be like last okay. year where the Cubs uh, are, are shipping out uh, Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, uh, and Anthony Rizzo on the same Anthony day. Anthony Rizzo. Yeah. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. The one team that intrigues me, the Giants, they were the best team in baseball last year in the regular season, I think. They're at yep. 500 or maybe under 500 at the moment. Are they selling? Are they buying? This is the San Francisco Giants. They are a contending team in a great division. Yeah. I mean, look, they're a third-place team right now, and I think if you're just looking at this objectively, there are six better teams in the National League than them. The, the Mets are clearly better. The Braves are clearly better. Uh, I think the Brewers are pretty clearly better. The Dodgers are clearly better. And the the Padres, who are getting Fernando Tatis Jr. back and who are in the middle of the Juan Soto discussions, are clearly better. And that just leaves St. Louis, Philadelphia, and San Francisco. And the the Giants just haven't found their their toehold really all year, but especially lately. And if they do decide to sell... Carlos Rodon uh, immediately goes out there as the best rental pitcher. But the Giants were in a similar position a couple years ago where they were overachieving some, uh, but, uh, you know, kind of in that tweener area and really didn't sell all that much because it it had been a little while since they'd been competitive. Well, they've they've been competitive now, but I I think they're uh, they're at this point very interesting crossroads because 
their payroll isn't particularly high, and they have a chance to go out this offseason when there are a lot of free agents out there like Aaron Judge and spend some money. And do they want to go into that having sold, or do they want to go into that at least trying to compete until the end of the year? So a, a lot of yeah. eyes on the Giants, too. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. It's educational for me. And I, you know, I like the trade deadline. I think it's cool. I thank you for all the stuff on Otani. I, the notion that he would be worth $64 million a year, but numerically, he probably is. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff Passon, boys and girls. Thank you, Tony. We will have Ann Hornaday when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is Evan Bieber. He's on stage with the name Fading Out. But if I were him, I would just call myself also Justin Bieber. (laughs) That's what I would do. I'd get a big crowd that way. I'm also Justin Bieber. (laughs) The other Bieber. Yeah. This is called Ruin a Good Thing. Plays in Ann Hornaday. Michael, if people want to send us their music like Fading Out's friend Chip has sent us, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. Ann Hornaday is with us. Before we get into any summer movies and my natural sort of pessimism about ever going to a theater again, Paul Sorvino passed away the other day. For me, Paul Sorvino is Goodfellas. I'm sure he's a fine actor. I think his daughter is Mira Sorvino. Yes. He's been in a billion things as character actors often are. But for me, it's Goodfellas. What are your thoughts on Paul Sorvino, Ann? Totally the same as yours. I mean, it's like, it's so kind of eerie and sad that he goes the same year as Ray Liotta, who will all, yeah. always and forever be Henry Hill in a way, you know. But even yeah. more so, yeah. I just feel like Sorvino, every, as good as he was in so many things and as, um, you know, talented a, a character actor, um, there there comes along this role that just, galvanizes everything um, and defines you for the rest of your life. And that was that was Paul Cicero in Goodfellas for him. It was just an absolutely, you know, and I read somewhere, I think I was kind of glancing over the, you know, the appreciations. And at one point, um, he didn't, one of the headlines said he didn't know how to play him, you know, which reminded me yeah. a lot of, like, Jason Robards also. He didn't know how to play Ben Bradley and all the... Pre- you know, it was like, how do I find this guy? Like, what, what am I doing here, you know? Um, which I just think is so fascinating. And then he obviously found his way in and, and played him as that kind of avuncular bear, you know, with that with that underlying lethal edge. Um, and he just absolutely... Yeah, it's just... there's There's nothing like it. So I was thinking about this because in in movies, fewer people watch movies ultimately than watch television on a regular basis. In movies, you get other roles, you get other chances. It's possible you're not saddled with being this one person. But on television, if you're in a series, it's very rare, Anne, very rare that somebody has a second series. Kelsey Grammer had a second series, but it was the same character. Bob Newhart had two series that were very successful, but he's a comedian. It's, he's not an actor or anything like that. A lot of these people, if they have a, a fabulously successful series that lasts five, six, eight, ten years, they don't find any other work. And when they do, people always compare them to the first role, right? I mean, that's hard for an actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And, um, you know, and it's like it's hard to kind of remember what he did after that. Although I will say there was a really good, I'm just, I'm just, there's a really good little movie that came out in the early 2000s called The Cooler. I don't know if you ever saw that. I saw it. Oh. Sure. With William H. Macy. <laughs> exactly. Sure. I loved it. Um, so, Alec you know, Baldwin. he does go yes. on to, do, you know, it's obviously he did, he did terrific work um, after yeah. that, but, but no, I mean, it's just like, that's, but then how lucky can you be that you get that one thing, you know? I mean, who's ever going to argue yeah. with that? No, it's, it's I, I was thinking about this last night, and the first name that came to mind for me, again, mostly a television actor, mostly, James Garner. 
James mm-hmm. Garner had Brett Maverick and James Garner had the Rockford Files. And they were both great and, and he wasn't penalized for having done one. You know, he was allowed to do the other. Sorvino, to me, though, it's, it's Goodfellas. Um, so I'll, I'll do the obligatory question. Are, are people going to theaters? Are they, I, I don't. I don't go anywhere. But are people going for movies? Yes, they are. They really are. I mean, you know, Top Gun has just become this monster hit. And I think deservedly so yeah. because it's just that it's so much fun to see it in a theater. Um, and a bunch of other, you know, that Thor movie is, is, is a big hit. The Jurassic, you know, they're going to see these these sequels and these franchise things. Um, and I think to a certain degree they're going, you know, they're going to see this movie Nope, the new Jordan Peele, um, who did Get Out and then did Us, and this is his new movie. And I think this is the best, let's see, I mean, they're always slicing and dicing these statistics, but I think it's the best opening of an original movie ever. You know, in other words, it's not a sequel or a really? franchise film. It's a, it's a standalone original film. Um, and it's done, it's done really well. I mean, it's, um, and again, I think he's kind of a brand name. People really want to see what he's doing because he's such an interesting filmmaker. Um, so, yeah, they are going back. The, well, the it's obvious question with Jordan <laughs> Peele. No, I'm not going. Jordan Peele was a comedian. Right. He, he was a comedian, and now he just does, you know, like um, the Sixth Sense kind of movies. Yes, right. Now, yeah. What, what's the deal with that? He was a comedian. Yeah, but I think he was also a film scholar, you know, and which was always pretty evident in, in the Key and Peele work is that they they're really sophisticated about film and culture in general, and um, you know, yeah. it looks like he wants to kind of be to take on that mantle of the Rod Serling's of the world, meaning elevated, you know, horror and elevated science fiction and kind of speculative fiction. Um, and there's always comedy within. I mean, it's like he's still really funny and. Um, I finally did catch up. I was on vacation when Nope came out, so I finally went and saw it, which was really fun to see it in a theater, you know, I mean, on a weeknight with people. I, people, I was really kind of heartened by how many people were there um, of kind of different ages, and I don't know. It's like he, he definitely has a, an audience, which is, which is kind of neat to see. I personally did not understand this movie at all. Like, I still don't know. Right. I don't exactly know what happened and what it was about, but... <laughs> He clearly just has so much fun. You know, he has these visions. Here's my, here's my theory of how he works. I, just, I think he has these visions of things that would be cool to see and put on screen. And then he kind of retrofits a story in to justify doing that thing. <clears throat> and sometimes that, you know, comes up with a really cool story. In this case, I don't think the story is nearly as strong as the images, but there are some really arresting scenes in this film and also... Um, um, it's, it, there are really, really amusing, really funny, f- f- clever moments. So he hasn't lost. The I just humor. think that's such a great review. I really don't know what happened in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know. I just walked out going, I don't. I just, I, 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 that, I don't get it. I just, that's, you just got to admit me it. Happy. Yeah, um, I've I've seen ads for something. I'm not I'm not going to go see it, but I will concede that I've seen ads for this movie Bullet Train. Oh, I know. And I think it probably I, is it any good. Is Who it knows? Any good? I don't Is know. I, don't, Pitt? I I see yes, that next Monday. Pitt. So uh, hold this space because I yeah I know what you mean. It's like is that going to be any good? I don't know. I mean yeah. it's always fun watching Brad Pitt be silly. Yes, right? I, I, I'm looking at it going. Wow, I, this this maybe could be great, although right. it could be terrible. <laughs> you exactly. Know, I did, That's exactly how I was looks looking like, at it. Brad Pitt usually does things that are on a much higher scale. And so uh, it looked like he was having fun, at least in the end. What is 13 Lives? Directed by Ron Howard, who's my age. And Ron Howard's been great for a million years. What's that about? 13 Lives is um, a dramatization of the rescue of those little boys who were trapped in the cave in Thailand. Remember that story? From No. Oh God! I don't. It's from a couple couple years ago. I think it's from 2018. Well, thank, thank you. What were they doing there? They it was they were there for some tournament, and then they they went uh, to go in this cave as oh. sort of like you know, hey, like a little adventure. Come on, everyone go! And the coach was with them, and then there was all this rainfall, and it blocked their exit, so they were trapped in there. And there was all these frantic efforts to get them out. Um, and I, I believe, and I, I don't want. 
don't want to spoil the movie, but I believe all of them got out alive, I think. Is this true, Anne? Is it a good it movie? Is. is it, is it, did Jessica, is it a good movie? Yeah, is it a good movie? Well, you know, here's the thing about this movie. And as you said, Ron Howard, you know, he's so solid, you know? I mean, he clearly knows his craft. I don't think he's capable of making, quote unquote, a bad movie, although, um, you know, we'll put a star on Hillbilly Elegy, okay? But right. this is, it reminded me, and I'm going to get, I'm going to get a lot of, I'm going to get a lot of pushback. I was one of those few people who just didn't love, love, love Apollo 13. I didn't find it to be particularly um, great cinema. I think it's good storytelling, and I think he did well by that story in terms of representing it on screen. But this is sort of similar in that it's, it's very much a procedural, you know? It's like, here is what happened. Right. And it just, it's, it's um, detailed. It's, it does put you right into the story. I think it, it has some fantastic performances from Viggo Mortensen, Colin Farrell. Um, um, oh, gosh. And I'm going to miss that, that wonderful Australian actor. Wait a minute. Um, oh, Joel, Joel, Joel Edgerton. Edgerton. Is that who sorry. Thank you. Yes. Ooh, sometimes I get the Edgertons and the Hemsworths confused. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's okay. They're fantastic. They're really, really good. The boys are great. There was a moment as I'm watching this saying, does everything have to be a movie? Like, it's, it's an example of that kind of ripped from the headlines, like, oh, this is an amazing story, and it is an amazing story. And that immediate kind of like, let's process it through movies. And we, it's sort of a reflex. It's almost like, you know, that's just like it has to be. It almost doesn't exist. It almost doesn't mean anything until it becomes a movie. I will admit I learned things about that episode that I didn't know at the time because I wasn't addicted to that story. I wasn't following it that closely. So, you know... I thought it was enlightening, and I learned, but I, there were moments where I just thought, uh, why, you know, is this really, is this entertainment? I don't know. Like, w- especially now where people are kind of still picking and choosing what they go out to see in theaters. Um, but, but, like, it is incredibly well done, and it is a great story. So that answer to your question, is it a good movie, is a little complicated for me. Sorry, I know that was like me. a wordy answer. Yeah, no, when... When I'm aware of what actually happened in movies, I'm not as compelled by them mm-hmm. most of the time, except with something like All the President's Men, just because yeah. I knew the people involved. But when I'm not aware of them, like a movie like Argo, yeah. and I go, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. So... True, I and I it, think that is sort of true of this one as well. Like, I did go... There were a couple of places... Like, there were things I just was... I was shocked by, you know, like I didn't know that that's like, that's how they did it, you know? So it definitely has that wow factor. Okay. Thank you, Anne. It's always a pleasure. It is for us. Mm. Anne Hornaday, boys and girls, we'll take a break. We will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser show. One, two, three, four. Here comes Tony's mailbag. It's lovely. Greg Rosendahl and Lindsay Merrill. That's absolutely lovely. Always like that one. Do you want to do the Bethesda Bagels ad? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That'll do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say we'll be back in the high life again. All the doors I closed one time will open up again. We'll be back in the high life again. All the eyes that watched us once will smile and take us in and we'll drink and dance with one hand free and have the world so easily. And oh, we'll be a sight to see back in the high life again that is the great stevie winwood he's great yes he is. he's just <laughs> great and that's a great song it's a song of much regret and much victory it's really good thanks to our guests today jeff passan and hornaday thanks to today's sponsors freshly and solo stove remember you can listen to us on apple Podcasts, spotify google play and odyssey if you get the show through apple Podcasts, please leave us a review okay from conrad krasuski Dear Dr. Squirrel Despiser, I'm a millennial living 
uh, millennial little living in Northern Virginia for the last decade, but spent the first 20 years of my life on the banks of the Susquehanna in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania. Yes, the Susquehanna River originates in the Otsego Lake watershed, but did you know that the Susquehanna River, meaning Muddy River in Lenape, is one of the five oldest rivers in the world. I did not. The river is over 300 million years old and maybe, depending on your source, the oldest river in North America. The more you know. And while we're at it, the Appalachians used to be as tall as the Himalayans. Put that in your Google machine. So, <laughs> that's that's the Wilkes-Barre area. Here's a great one. Just watch PTI and Theo. Put a group together and buy the Nationals and put him in charge. The grandkids could be bat boys. When are you coming to Jumping Brook? We're aerating August 10th. Regards, DG. I hadn't heard from him in a while, so this is good. The Greens update. It was just so great. From Reese in London, the way I see it, there's only one solution for the squirrel problem. You need to introduce the squirrel's natural predator to your back garden, the rattlesnake. 15 to 20 should see off the little critters. It's a can They'll probably keep the deer on their toes, too. Plus, they'll stop Chessie from eating plastic frisbees. No need to thank me. If you need any more helpful advice, don't call. Love to eat at Saliza. Three more last night. I have two tomatoes left. That's all I have. I had about 20. I have two left. They have gnarled away at 18 or well, maybe 15 and I took three in and I just I'm gonna put them in a brown paper bag they've ruined my life they've ruined my garden <laughs> I, I hate them so I don't you've had you've had no yield no I've nothing I can do and my all of my peppers have blossom end rot mm. and they've just wheezed through the summer got a rough back to the habaneras from Shane yes. O'Malley in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania I'm currently listening to your podcast from July 25th and you open the show complaining about squirrels Instead of typing out some long story about my own experience dealing with vicious heavyweight squirrels that live in my city, I'll just cut to the advice. Buy a decoy owl. You're welcome. Let's save that one for next year. Yeah, that might, that might work. That sounds once good. Once again. From David Thibodeau, or Thibodeau. My younger brother is a minister in Atlanta. In addition to his adult sons, he has two younger sons, age 9 and 11, both of whom play youth baseball. As I write this, my brother... The woman to whom he's related by marriage and the two boys are down in the Dominican Republic for a baseball tournament that the 11-year-old was invited to play in. So there'll be a game a day followed by downtime for a week in the Dominican Republic. My brother played baseball on the south side of Chicago and for St. Rita High School years ago. I don't think they ever left the city. The Dominican Republic? Get off my lawn. <laughs> From Ali Fuller, who writes, I'm a busy mom and well, kids' teeth fall out somewhat unpredictably. So being prepared with legal tender all of the time in the event one of them loses a tooth is not just realistic. We solved this problem, just not realistic. We solved this problem by using random leftover foreign currency. Everybody has that jar of random foreign currency that they have left after a trip abroad, and often the denominations can be quite large. If you think kids don't understand money, they certainly don't understand exchange rates. <laughs> Getting a $1,000 bill is thrilling, even if it is in Costa Rican colones and worth about $1.50. We always have fun trying to figure out what country the tooth fairy came from last. If you don't have foreign cur currency, I can't help you. What do you think of that? That's a great idea. That is a brilliant idea. Yeah. I like that. From Terry Schoonover, who has mailed us before in Columbia, Missouri, I am so pleased to hear Bootsy is going to become a podcaster like his grandpa. Has he booked Junior to come on to tell the John Wooden story? <laughs> Charlie Burtz in Springfield, Virginia. Scott Boris's high school yearbook was called Bleed Em Dry, Those Sons of Bitches and retailed for $1,700. I had two occasions yesterday to say of Scott Boris again on PTI, who may or may not be the devil. From Rick Foss. <laughs> Do you see when they, they toss to him at the Dodgers games and he's taking notes? What, what is he writing down? Oh. Go to free agency. <laughs> From Rick Fawcett, Youngstown, Ohio. On a recent trip to Bethany Beach near your beloved Rehoboth, I was able to confirm several theories proposed by the show, having experienced them for the first time. Royal Farms chicken is the best chicken you will have at a gas station. It's actually really good. Johnny Walker Blue is one of the greatest libations ever crafted by man, but guided by the hand of God. The Bay Bridge. The traffic is infuriating, and the experience is moderately terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds yeah. about right. And try this with two-way traffic. This is <laughs> right. from... John Peter in Pelican Rapids, Minnesota. While Matt and Lindsay are away on their honeymoon, it, I, it felt necessary to update you on what was missed Saturday at the Hogan, not Hagen, I thought it was Hagen, Hogan wedding, since the entire day felt like an ad read for the TK show. One, the day started with all the groomsmen, including yours truly, getting into Indo Indochino suits. Well done. When the officiate said, you may kiss the bride, a number of us in the wedding party yelled la cheeserie, but were woefully <laughs> drowned out by the cheers of the crowd. 
Don't worry, we wrote lachiserie on their car along with just married. <laughs> the hors d'oeuvres served between the ceremony and the meal were, among other things, grilled cheese, as promised. <laughs> During the after party, I fully expected to meet Edith Saliza on the outdoor patio as I roasted my kids' marshmallows on the solo stove. But for me, by far the best moment of the night was when I asked one of the bridesmaids, what's your story? And she told me she was from D.C., but actually on the Maryland side. You wouldn't know, so i just say D.C., Oh, yeah? Try me, I said. It's a town called Bethesda, she said. My eyes widened, and with glee, I asked the only logical question. Do you go to Bethesda, Vegas? She rolled her eyes and said, why does everyone on the groom side keep asking me that? Do you all listen to the same podcast? I simply replied, well, do you go there or not? Thanks, Mr. Tony. You make a big world seem small, and your thread continues to sow commonality across various communities. Thank you for connecting so many of us together. But was there a plane? So gr- uh, I don't know if there was a plane. And one more from David Smith in Charlottesville is moving to Boston. The Wegmans at Fifth Street Station in Charlottesville does not have Dunkin' Donuts ice cream. I'm moving to Boston on Thursday. Maybe I'll have better luck there. I'll let you know. <laughs> if you're out on your bike tonight, everyone, as always, do wear white. Who makes you excited, Henry? One soda. One soda. One soda. <laughs> uh, from David Thibodeau, or Thibodeau. My younger brother is a minister in Atlanta. In addition to his adult sons, he has two younger sons, age 9 and 11, both of whom play youth baseball. As I write this, my brother, the woman to whom he is related by marriage, and the two boys are down in the Dominican Republic for a baseball tournament that the 11-year-old was invited to play in. So there'll be a game a day, followed by downtime for a week in the Dominican Republic. My brother played baseball on the south side of Chicago and for St. Rita High School years ago. I don't think they ever left the city. The Dominican Republic? Get off my lawn. (laughs) From Ali Fuller, who writes, I'm a busy mom, and, well, kids' teeth fall out somewhat unpredictably. So being prepared with legal tender all of the time in the event one of them loses a tooth is not just realistic. We solved this problem, just not realistic. We solved this problem by using random leftover foreign currency. Everybody has that jar of random foreign currency that they have left after a trip abroad, and often the denominations can be quite large. If you think kids don't understand money, they certainly don't understand exchange rates. <laughs> Getting a $1,000 bill is thrilling, even if it is in Costa Rican colones and worth about a dollar. We always have fun trying to figure out what country the Tooth Fairy came from last. If you don't have foreign cur- currency, I can't help you. What do you think of that? That's a great idea. That is a brilliant idea. Yeah. I like that. From Terry Schoonover, who has mailed us before in Columbia, Missouri, I am so pleased to hear Bootsy is going to become a podcaster like his grandpa. Has he booked Junior to come on to tell the John Wooden story? <laughs> Charlie Burtz in Springfield, Virginia. Scott Boris's high school yearbook was called Bleed Em Dry, Those Sons of Bitches, and retailed for $1,700. I had two occasions yesterday to say of Scott Boris again on PTI, who may or may not be the devil. From Rick Foss. Do you see when they, they toss to him at the Dodgers games and he's taking notes? What, what is he writing down? Oh. Go to free agency. <laughs> From Rick Fawcett, Youngstown, Ohio. On a recent trip to Bethany Beach near your beloved Rehoboth, I was able to confirm several theories proposed by the show, having experienced them for the first time. Royal Farms chicken is the best chicken you will have at a gas station. It's actually really good. Johnny Walker Blue is one of the greatest libations ever crafted by man, but guided by the hand of God. The Bay Bridge. The traffic is infuriating, and the experience is moderately terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds yeah. about right. And try it with is, two-way traffic. This is <laughs> right. from... John Peter in Pelican Rapids, Minnesota. While Matt and Lindsay are away on their honeymoon, it it felt necessary to update you on what was missed Saturday at the Hogan, not Hagen, I thought it was Hagen, Hogan wedding, since the entire day felt like an ad read for the TK show. One, the day started with all the groomsmen, including yours truly, getting into Indochino suits. Well done. When the officiate said, you may kiss the bride, a number of us in the wedding party yelled La Cheeserie, but were woefully (laughs) drowned out by the cheers of the crowd. Don't worry, we wrote La Cheeserie on their car along with just married. (laughs) The hors d'oeuvres served between the ceremony and the meal were, among other things, grilled cheese, as promised. During the after party, I fully expected to meet Edith Saliza on the outdoor patio as I roasted my kids' marshmallows on the solo stove. But for me, by far the best moment of the night was when I asked one of the bride's mates, what's your story? And she told me she was from D.C., but actually on the Maryland side. You wouldn't know, so i just say D.C. Oh, yeah? Try me, I said. It's a town called Bethesda, she said. My eyes widened, and with glee, I asked the only logical question. Do you go to Bethesda, Vegas? She rolled her eyes and said, why does everyone on the groom side keep asking me that? Do you all listen to the same podcast? I simply replied, well, do you go there or not? 
Thanks, Mr. Tony. You make a big world seem small, and your thread continues to sow commonality across various communities. Thank you for connecting so many of us together. But was there a plane? So gr- uh, I don't know if there was a plane. And one more from David Smith in Charlottesville is moving to Boston. The Wegmans at Fifth Street Station in Charlottesville does not have Dunkin' Donuts ice cream. I'm moving to Boston on Thursday. Maybe I'll have better luck there. I'll let you know. <laughs> if you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. Who makes you excited, Henry? One soda. One soda. One soda. <laughs> I 
told myself that I'd regret it, but I couldn't help myself. Now I've only let down myself. But I am hopeful, I am patient, I can stand here, I'll be waiting. But you said I shouldn't wait for you. My friends told me I was crazy, but I was crazy for you.